and thank you for joining us today wherever you are. It's really great to have you with us. Our opening song this morning was the UK Blessing. In recent weeks, the worship leader Tim Hughes has released a video of the song. It featured people from 65 different churches of all denominations who've united together to pray for God's blessing over us in this troubled time. The video has brought comfort to Christians and non-Christians alike and it's been watched by millions of people on YouTube. This week, the Prime Minister wrote to Tim Hughes and awarded him a Points of Light Award, an award that recognises individuals who have made a positive impact to society. In his letter, Boris Johnson said to Hughes, At a time when our churches are closed, I'm filled with admiration to hear how you've used the power of music to bring together Christians of all denominations from across the United Kingdom. Your sensational singing masterpiece, The UK Blessing, is truly uplifting and it's touched millions around the world with its message of hope and its beauty. We'll hear more about the blessing next week. Today, though, we're going to focus on the responsibility and blessing of being a disciple, turning to a familiar passage from John's Gospel, 
for inspiration and guidance. So together, let's worship.
Rob Hume is now going to read from John's Gospel for us. Thank you, Rob. The reading is taken from the Gospel according to St John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
In today's reading, which is the second half of a conversation that began last week, Jesus is describing the privileges and the responsibilities of discipleship. He begins by making sure that the disciples themselves understand what it looks like to be a real follower of Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. A life of real discipleship is one that's lived out in active obedience to Jesus' commandments. It's really important to note here that we can never earn or come to deserve God's love by keeping his commandments. Nothing that we can do or say will ever enable us to earn or to deserve that love. But it is nevertheless given. It's given as a free gift and all we need to do is accept it. It's a gift of grace, something that the Oxford English Dictionary defines as a free, unmerited favour of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners. But when we've accepted that gift of love, its effect should be evident in our life. The right response of those who truly know God's love, who are filled to the core with that life-changing love, will be to love him in return and to keep his commandments. Being obedient to his commandments is an attribute of a true follower. It's our response to God's gift to us. It's not a precondition for becoming a follower. In other words, it's not that keeping God's commandments are like a rite of passage that enable us to become a disciple. It's that when we actually understand for ourselves how amazing it is that we can enjoy a relationship with God, we will try to keep those commandments anyway. Not because we must, but because we want to. As a university student at the age of 19, I was encouraged by others who loved Jesus to explore him for myself. I can still remember that realisation that I had when I realised that if I were the only person in the world, Jesus of Nazareth would still have died for me. Knowing that has motivated me to seek out the company of other Christians who've encouraged my faith. It's motivated me to attend church, to read my Bible and to pray regularly. I know that these things don't earn me God's love. He loved me before I started doing them. But like an overflowing bath, the more I experienced God's love for myself, the more I desired to be generous with my money, encouraging with my words, keeping my distance from gossiping tongues, even though at times it was tempting, of course, to join in. The proof of the pudding, as they say, is in the eating. It's really no good saying that we love Jesus if we're not prepared to be obedient and to keep his commandments. By claiming to love him without keeping his commandments, our lives look identical to the lives of everyone else around us, except we go to church and we label ourselves as Christians. If that's the only difference it makes, is there any wonder that our family, our friends and our neighbours consider us to be hypocrites and our faith to be irrelevant? Of course, some of Jesus' commandments are easier to obey than others. It's a no-brainer to everyone that do not murder makes absolute sense and it should absolutely be followed. Others we might say are grayscale to interpret, such as let your yes be yes and your no be no. We may think in principle that we should always say exactly what we mean, but I'm sure we can all think of situations where it's been a little easier to bend the truth. 
when we're asked to be part of something and we agree knowing that in reality nearer the time we may send our apologies instead. It's more uncomfortable perhaps to be upfront and honest, declining straight away. But that's what Jesus requires of his disciples, is that we're honest and in love we say what we mean and we know to be true. And then there are those commandments that just grate on us and at times they make no sense or are just too difficult to contemplate actually carrying out. Jesus commands us, for example, not just to love those that we find it easy to love, our friends and neighbours, but to love our enemies too. He instructs us to show the same grace to those who physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually hurt us as he's shown to us. Not always easy, and at times I'd even say impossible, without reliance on the Holy Spirit intervening for us. Will we obey Jesus and help that work colleague who stepped over us to get a promotion? Will we hold on to a grudge against a friend because of a negative observation that they once shared with us? Would we choose to attempt to make peace with and to help somebody who's got a track record of stabbing us in the back? Jesus commands that we forgive somebody, not just once, but an infinite number of times. Obviously, if somebody's suffering abuse of any kind, it's right that they protect themselves and get out of that abusive situation. Choosing to forgive isn't choosing to say that what the other person did or continues to do is right or okay. And in fact, choosing to forgive is very often for your benefit, not for theirs. Because holding on to resentment and choosing not to forgive is like choosing to drink from a bottle of poison and hoping that the other person will die. It prevents us from finding freedom from that situation and from moving on. Perhaps you're listening today although you don't normally come to church and you're thinking my past or my present lifestyle is a barrier. Perhaps you're thinking that you're too bad, too sad or too far offside for God. Our church isn't a club for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We all fall short and fail to live up to God's perfect standard. In fact, St Paul tells us that the commandments of God were given so that sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. As we measure ourselves against God's perfect standard and in love as we try to follow Jesus' commandments, we all ultimately realise that we fall short and that we can't. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to live out the next 24 hours as Jesus lived. In fact, that's probably too hard. Try it for the next hour. I guarantee you, you'll find it really difficult. But that in itself was part of God's plan. It helps us to see that we can't earn salvation in our own strength or in our own obedience. We need Jesus' grace and we need his strength. The more we read the Bible, the more we see that it's the story of ordinary broken human beings who've all got a past. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. Noah was a drunk who slept in the nude. Paul persecuted the church and Peter denied Jesus. The thief on the cross had committed many heinous crimes, but with his final breath he cried out to Jesus. His reply, Today you will be with me in paradise, 
it wasn't based on the guy's track record on earth. It was because he'd put his trust in Jesus. You were known, accepted and loved. God loves you just as you are. But if you truly know him and love him back, you'll want to make some changes in your life to be obedient to Jesus' commandments as much as you're able. As a consequence, people will see more of him in your life and in one sense your whole life will become an act of worship to God. This is what true worship is. It's more than just going to church. It's precisely what Paul meant when he said those familiar words that are in the prayer book. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The disciples had left everything to be with Jesus. They'd experienced the depths of grief following his death on a cross, an incredible joy and excitement as they realised that he'd risen from the dead. And then, if that were not enough, he'd tell them that eventually he'd be separated from them again after he returned to heaven. Yet Jesus says that he'll never leave the disciples alone. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. He says that he'll give them the gift of the Holy Spirit and that they will always have someone with them. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit, parakletos, literally means one coming alongside. It has so many meanings. A counsellor, an advocate, comforter, encourager, helper, someone to stand with you and to befriend you. The Holy Spirit strengthens, encourages, gives succour and aid to the disciples. The words also used to describe a legal assistant, someone who helps another in court, whether as an advocate, a witness or as their representative. I think it's worth noting here that the Holy Spirit is another advocate rather than the advocate. The implication is that the disciples already have an advocate in Jesus himself. In the first letter of John, found later in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to, for example, as the one who speaks in our defence. Now that Jesus is returning to the Father, there will be somebody to represent the disciples in heaven, pleading their case in heaven's courts, someone who will speak up for them before God himself. But the Holy Spirit will take Jesus' place on earth. He will dwell in the disciples when Jesus is returned to heaven, to strengthen, to encourage and to guide the disciples. Those promises were not just for the first disciples. They're for us too. Those who love Jesus have an advocate in heaven, someone who is presenting a case for their right to a place in the kingdom of God. Entering the proverbial pearly gates isn't dependent on what we've done or what we haven't done. It's Jesus who pleads the case for us to enter in. Do we love him for that? The gift of the Holy Spirit is for us too. This passage promises us that Jesus will never leave us alone. At the moment, you may be on the mountain top and full of the joy of the Lord. On the other hand, you may be down in the valley, feeling as if you're alone, abandoned, and as if God is nowhere to be seen. Wherever you are, 
God is never far from you. Even though we can't see oxygen or feel it, we know that it's there because we're continually able to breathe. In times of challenge like these, we might naturally struggle to see God or to feel his presence. But he is nevertheless with us. Jesus, who described himself as the truth, now describes the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit will lead the disciples in all truth when Jesus is gone, by reminding them of Jesus' teaching, both as an outward teacher of the living word, but also as an internal prompt inside their conscience. This motivates Christians to care passionately for the things that God cares about. The poor, the lonely and the broken-hearted, those being treated unjustly, those who don't know God's love. Such promptings lead Christians to give generously of their time, their energy, their money and their resources to see God's kingdom here on earth. Can we say that we're being obedient to Jesus if we ignore those internal promptings of the Holy Spirit? So where are you in all of this? Do you really understand how much Jesus loves you? Do you love him in return? And what's the outward and inward evidence of that in your own life? My prayer is that we'll all become more open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we'll seek to serve Jesus more passionately. Amen. Now we come to our prayers and it's great to have Andrew Knight leading us in prayer this morning. Thank you, Andrew. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks for the great love which raised Jesus from the dead, sent us the promised Holy Spirit, and assures us that you are always close, whether we feel it or not. Help us to live as those who explore these things, delight in them, and want to share this treasure when we can. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our church, for the congregation we know best and its leaders, our vicar Adrian, Archbishop John, and today we're asked to remember the Christians of Korea, North and South. Help us to be united, one family, despite our differences and our present separation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help the leaders of our country and our community, and especially those who plan the response to COVID-19, those who work on the economy, the need for jobs, and the likely recession, and the medics looking for vaccines, treatments, and cures. Give them all wisdom and integrity, and help us to offer our support for the work they do. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, be especially close to those in difficulty and crisis. For those who are worried about having no income now, and perhaps not in the future either. For those who are ill, physically or mentally, and their carers and friends, 
as well as for the bereaved. We remember doctors and nurses, care assistants, many of whom must now be terribly tired. And with them, the staff of nursing and residential homes and complexes. And we remember too, funeral directors and others who have to deal directly with the bereaved in especially difficult times. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this Regation Sunday, we give thanks for the created world, for farms and gardens and parks, for beauty and food and the recent fine weather. We pray that our response to these weeks of lockdown may improve our care for all that you have made and lead to a lifestyle actively combating global warming, pollution and wastage of resources. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, we pray for ourselves. However unexpectedly and however much our situation changes, may we be faithful disciples of Jesus, confident of our safety in his charge, ready always to share hope and love. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as another week in lockdown begins, I want to pray that God would bless you and keep you, that God would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you today and always. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you, and the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God, out of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
I will not need these eyes of faith.